So here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at this passage. And I want us to be able to see the big picture of what God was sending Jesus to do, which He empowered His disciples to do. And now as a race, He's handed us the baton. And in that, I want us to not exegete, which means tear it up in the Greek. I want us to be inspired by the words of what Jesus had said. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we had Pentecost Sunday? Remember that moment? That feeling? How many of us walked away just feeling like, wow, no matter what happens in this moment, I'm good. Think about this past Wednesday night or the other Wednesday nights that we've gathered or, or think about when Hurricane Irene and, and Hurricane Sandy hit when we were out in the community serving endlessly. It was almost like we had this extra strength in us that, that kept us motivated and running and, and pushing along. And you see, what Jesus was doing was He was saying, I am going to gather a group of people to send them in the world to proclaim the greatest message of hope, which is eternity through Jesus, the Son of God. Now the word church simply means gathering of people. So in the early, early days, the word church was used in multiple ways. In multiple ways. But Jesus says, you are the church. And what separates this church and any other gathering of people is that you're meeting in my name. He even says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am what? Also. I am there also. And so what Jesus said, He says that I am going to gather my people And I am going to call them the church. That's their name. And I'm going to send you into the world. And I'm going to send you in the world to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the presence of Jesus Christ that is found in the Holy Spirit. And so actually what Jesus had done is that He actually breathed on them And then what else happened was when they gathered that evening at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell and the room filled like a cloud and fire was on top of their heads and they started speaking in all these foreign languages. Not a language that people didn't understand, but foreign languages. Remember I said that like Italian and Spanish and all these different other cultures. And people from Jerusalem who were Jewish heard their languages and they, they stepped into it and they said, what is this message they're proclaiming? And all these people gathered outside. There were 3,000 people that gathered outside trying to hear what these 12 people were doing in this room. And and all of a sudden, Peter stepped outside and he said, this is why we've gathered. Because God's presence is upon us to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus had told His disciples to do now is to go into all of the world. Now what is interesting when we read the Gospels, we think that Jesus traveled hundreds and hundreds and thousands of thousands of miles, don't we? We think that He was kind of the one that went to the the uttermost parts of the world and that that He went way past Samaria, but that's not the truth. He only went about a a 50 mile radius around Jerusalem. 
And so what he was doing was he was priming the pump to get the people in places so that the moment that Pentecost hit, that it would spread like wildfire. And there were three areas that he had identified. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then the uttermost parts of the earth. And this was so strategic of Jesus because when you look at this whole idea, you see Jerusalem is the hub. It is the middle part where Jesus always went back to. It was His local community. And the first thing that Jesus was telling His disciples was make the Gospel known to your local community. Do not neglect them. But the first and foremost place that you need to do is you need to go back back to your hometowns that you were Bethlehem, Nazareth, all these areas that are surrounding Jerusalem. I want you to go to your hometowns and make the Gospel tangible. I want you to love as I have loved. I want you to be the healing presence of myself to your local areas. I want you to feed the homeless. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to listen to the broken. I want you to be so present that when people hear and see and watch you, their only response is to fall in love with Jesus. When we started the plant, that was our calling. I actually begged God not to call me to Bergen County. I remember when I was 19, 20, and 21 years old when I became a Christian. I said, God, I will do anything in the world. I said, send me to Africa. That's what I said. Send me to Africa. Send me to Zimbabwe. Send me to some far off distance in the world. Do not send me home. I don't want to live in this mundane area and try to make you real because I wasn't able to do it. Anyone remember Keith Green? Remember Keith Green? Keith Green in the early 80s had passed away from a plane crash. and um, He was a man of God. And I went to his memorial when I was a little boy because my parents dragged me there. You know, nothing like going to someone's memorial that you never knew. And... Um, it was a video memorial of Keith Green, and, and I found the video. I actually found the video like 10, 15 years later, and I, I popped it in. I think it, was a, I think it was a VHS, and I popped it in. And I watched the whole memorial. I felt like God inspired me. And Keith Green said in his video before he passed away, he says, the only people that should stay in America are the people who are called to America. And if you are not called to America as a Christian, then God is calling you overseas. And I remember being in our upstairs boys' living hangout room. I said, God, you've called me to America. Teach me to follow Jesus in my local context. Matter of fact, Jesus gave me a passage of an Acts where, the, where the, the young man was running around the, the graveyard trying to frighten Jesus and And Jesus delivered him of demons, which he did in me. I'll confess that. And this young guy wanted to go with Jesus and travel the world with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you stay in your hometown and you proclaim my work. 
When we started the plant, we looked at this area and we said, God, how many real Bible-believing churches are there? How many churches are thriving in the Gospel? And we had identified that there were very few churches that were first Bible-believing. Truly believed that God's Word was inerrant and infallible. Truly believe that Jesus is the only way. There are a lot of churches in our areas, but, but many of them don't believe that, the, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And I felt that God was saying that I'm going to do something special in New Jersey. You can either be a part of it or you can leave it. And in that moment, I said, Jesus, I want to be part of anything that you think is special. I was driving down Crescent Bend. I know exactly where I was. And we started this church in Allendale that moved to Mawa. Because we knew in this area that the gospel had to become real and tangible. We also knew that in the 1800s that major revivals had broken out in this area. And for whatever reason, Satan had his stronghold and, and, and Christianity has quickly dipped down in, in this area to one of the lowest Christianized area in the country. Less than 20% of people are Christian in New Jersey. Did you know that? And out of those 20, it's almost like less than that truly believe that Jesus is the only way. And so we gathered a small group of people and we said, let's begin to know Jesus and make Him known. And we started with 28 and we went down to 16 and now we are over 200 people that call the plant their home church and desire to see the Gospel present in this area. What is our Jerusalem? It's Mawa. It's Ramsey. Let's just go right down the path. Ramsey. It's Allendale. It's Waldwick. It's Midland Park. It's Hawthorne. It's Rochelle Park. It's Suffern. I believe our church makes up three different counties. And we are truly learning to make Jesus known. I love that when I show up to church on Sundays, over 70% of the people that come to the plant have found Jesus through this church. Amen? Amen. I love that when I go to prayer meeting on a given night, that over 70% of people have come to Jesus through the plant. I love on Wednesday night that when I looked around the room and I saw people on their faces, that over 70% of those people came to Jesus through a small gathering of people. And so we are called to reach our local context. The next Jesus said was that you're going to reach your Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria is the region surrounding Jerusalem. Now the question is, is how are we reaching our region? How are we as a church truly reaching those expansions around us? Well, let me just tell you something, Plant family. Seven years ago, we were asked by our denomination to do church planting completely different than anything that has ever happened. And we started missional communities. And we started with one missional community and we grew into seven missional communities and we just planted one missional community to be a church in Hawthorne, New Jersey. And you know what God was telling me? It's not about how many people go to your church. It's the impact you have on a community. Because over time, people will come to Christ. We see that all the time. And so as our district, which is part of our denomination, it's the Metro District, which is made up of about 122 churches, As Bruce Terpstra and our district had seen what we have been doing, they said, we want you to start mentoring and coaching other pastors to start missional communities in their local areas. And so for the last literally four years, when we've been trying to figure this out along the way, 
Omar and myself have been coaching pastors in New Jersey and New York. We have given, we've given advice to pastors all over the country. Jeremy's played a role that, that he's gone up to awaken with many of you to go be a part of the worship service. Shant, where's Shant? Where's Shant? Shant has been leading worship up there periodically and they've asked him to step into even more and more. We've gone down to other churches and we've helped train them, we've equipped them and what does it mean to know Christ and make Him known? Matter of fact, they've seen so much of what we've do, been doing, they said, hey, we want you to expand it even more. We want you to take on a regional role. And so my role is the Northeast Church Planter Coordinator for the Northeast of America. And so in that, you may not have your hands on it, but you, as you continue to live on mission, you are impacting more people in our region than you will ever imagine. We've had elders and leadership team people go out to meet other pastors to encourage them and build them up. We've actually have had other churches that are doing what we're doing say, hey, can we come underneath you and be the plant of, of South Jersey, be the plant of this and all these things? They said, no, no let, let, let us coach you. Let us coach you. This is not about the plant getting its name bigger. It's about having a bigger gospel presence. And so when I was out in California, one of the things that I had to do was I had to help lead two seminars about greenhouse church planting. What that is is exactly what we did with Kurt. We brought Kurt in for two years. We kind of detoxed him from what he knew. And we kind of put something new into his heart. And now Kurt is running like a wildfire. Getting it. Moving forward. You see, the whole idea of Judea and Samaria is, is to begin to take our eyes off, off of us. And to see the bigger picture of what God has in store. I was so humbled on Friday night. I went up to New England for a couple days and I got to do some talking up there and meet, take some guys out to lunch. And this young man who was wanting to go in the church planting and he and his wife, we were in a big circle square and when we do, building one day, when we do build a building one day, we're going to do church in the round just so you know. That's my only thing that we have to do. Um, and this young man, I saw him walk across 4,000 people and he came right over to me along with the other district guys and he said, can you pray for me? I need a fresh anointing. And we got to lay hands on this young man and we got to speak, listen to the words, prophetically into his life. And I was so humbled because I'm like, why the heck would he want me to pray for him? Because he sees what we together are doing. And he wants to bring what we have done together through the power of the Holy Spirit to New Hampshire. You see, too often we don't realize the impact that we have, not only in our local context, but in our regional area. And it's not just going down to Barnegat. It's not just going down to Morristown. It's not just going up to, to Westchester. But it's actually going to New Hampshire. It's actually going to Vermont. It's actually going to Foxborough, Massachusetts. That all these different areas, that, that there's a shift in the church to go back to the early church of what the early church was. Was a community on mission. Do you notice how the majority of our people in our church are brand new believers? We don't have a lot of transfer growth. Do you know why? Because we ask people to follow Jesus. 
We ask people to say, make this not about you and make it all about Him. Do you know the vast people that have only left the plant have been those who have been followers of Jesus for a long time? And they will sit down with me and say, Rob, I just wanted to come for like a marriage small group and just kind of go back and do my thing. I'm like, that's not what we're about. We're about healing marriages on mission. And when I look at this, I wonder like, are we having any impact? And when, when Bruce Terpstra asked me to be the regional guy, I'm like, Bruce, I'm not your guy. I'm not a pastor of a thousand people. I'm not a pastor of this or that. And he's like, Rob, exactly. You have more influence than you'll ever know. Your church has more influence than they could ever realize. That's why you are the perfect person. You guys don't realize how many times we've sat down with people and helped them talk through their budgets and different things like that. You have no idea how many things that have happened because you have been the guinea pigs of the gospel to be present in a whole new way. And if you look to the person to the left or to the right, you could see that God has been doing something in you in such a miraculous way. We're building a church of the next generation. We're building a church where, where, where the Seitzman kids and the Hosier kids and the Ritter kids and the Parker kids and all these other kids are going to be the next movement of Jesus Christ. But then it only doesn't stop at regional it goes global. And Jesus said to the end, the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth, do you realize for the first six years of the plant as we were raising money that we were highly invested in Africa? When we weren't even able to pay the bills, God was telling us, make sure you give to the global picture. Do you realize that you, the plant, Gave over, gave over $40,000 that in Uganda that people could have sustainability and a gospel opportunity. There came a point where Jesse was making some ministry changes and they were all positive, all positive. And the CMA came to us and said, you guys have to now be under CMA missions because we officially became a CMA church. And we had to now go in the direction of CMA missions. And what we did for Jesse was we said, here's what we're going to do is over the next two years, we're going to financially support you as you make your transition home and as we transition into CMA missions. And we were very clear. We said, we want to make sure that for the next two years, you don't feel that you are dropped, but that you are loved by us. And we had the opportunity for two years to pray about what God was going to do globally. You see, here's the reality is People are dying every day. And we like to, we've almost got into this bent, and I, and I fell prey to this too, that people are dying physically. They are. But do you realize that people are dying spiritually? That every time someone comes to Jesus, someone else is dying and going into an eter eternal damnation. And too often we don't think about this. We think about that we're being too spiritual if we really talk like this. We think about that we're being too, too uh, scary and too doom and gloom. But the reality is this. Is that Jesus sent His disciples into the world with a purpose. To know Christ in what? Make Him known. And to make Him known means that 
everyone would have an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. Everyone would have an opportunity to gain salvation. Because without salvation, without knowing Jesus, people are going to hell. Without knowing Jesus Christ, and I know in our Western culture, I know that we want to be so tolerant. I know we want to be so comfortable. I know we want to be, but think about this. Think about this. The most important thing in our life is that we know Him and make Him known. Why? Because God created us to know Him. And without Him, we are eternally separated. Eternally separated. Think about your neighbor. Begins in Jerusalem. Do you ever think that God moved you to your street so that your neighbor would know Jesus Christ? Think about regionally. The place of work. Bill, where where do you work again? Sealed air. Okay. Where is it located? Elmwood Park. Elmwood Park. Where do people come from in that area? Uh, miles away. Miles. New York City? Yeah. Okay. Westchester possibly? Yeah. Okay. Even further down? Probably. Okay. Is it possible that God just gave Bill a brand new job to be the gospel presence at his work? Is it possible... Bill's like, why did he have to call on me? (laughs) Is it possible that TD Bank hired Joe Chinesi and Amanda Majestic to be the gospel presence? Is it possible that each of your areas of work you were called to be the gospel presence. But now, it goes even further. Let me read you just a, a paragraph about the CMA. Since 1887, the Alliance has served the spiritual and physical needs of millions of men, women, and children in every part of the world. Today, the CMA's global ministries encompass 13,609 churches and church groups including more than 4 million people in 81 countries and territories. And the CMA Global Missions is one of the largest presences in the world. This allows us to partner with an organization that is thriving to be present in areas that most won't even even contend to go into. What I love about CMA Missions is this. They go to an area of the world... And they bring a gospel presence. And once it bubbles up to a certain percentage, they say it's time for us to move. We've established the gospel for every person and a church for every people. Listen to that. They establish the gospel for every person and a church for every people. And so what they do is that they literally span the world to find places where the gospel is least present. And they say, we are going to go there in areas where Christians are not allowed to go. 
to send people, to empower them, to live there, to let that be their Jerusalem, to bring salvation to the nationals, to make the nationals pastors, and then they pull out and go somewhere else. Right now, there's an area of the world called the 1040 window, or the creative access area, or also known as the dark corner of the world. And I actually cannot talk about it because we're on video. And I won't mention names, I won't mention anything else, but at our next all-church meeting, we're going to really dive into this. But there is a part of the world where less than 1% of the people know Jesus. Are Christians. Less than 1% of the people. In many areas of Africa, 85% of the people know Christ. They need self-sustaining help But the gospel present in Africa is more so than most places anywhere. More so than here. When you look at certain areas of the world, there is more gospel in certain areas than the United States. Matter of fact, foreign countries are sending missionaries to America. In God we trust. Right now, they're sending missionaries from Africa and Russia and all these countries into America to make the gospel tangible. And what the CMA has said is this. We want to go to the most toughest areas of the world to make the gospel known. And so what we have talked about as a leadership team is that we want to be a part of this. And we want to get our people first to love their Jerusalem, their their local neighborhoods. We then want to see how they're part of a bigger regional plan. But then what we want to see happen is this this bigger picture that we begin to pray for the lost in foreign countries in the areas of access to the gospel is so minute. We want to begin to be a church to learn how to support missionaries that their names aren't even allowed to be on emails. We want to learn to be about the world so that every single person has an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. It says here in 2 Peter, the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think, meaning when He's coming back. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He does not want anyone to die and go to hell, but wants everyone to repent, come to Him. God did not smite us. To a life of damnation. God wants us to experience all the presence and the power that the early disciples had. Do you remember on Wednesday night when we, we were learning how to pray over one in a way that we were speaking, speaking words of knowledge and prophetically into one another's lives? You remember when, uh, I believe it was Lulu, was it Lulu? Who, who was being prayed over by someone and that someone just started praying over them for her family. And she, she kind of raised her hand. She goes, so-and-so just prayed for my family and I've never met this person before. How do they know about my family? Because God put it in that person's heart. God allowed that person to see Lulu's heart's desires. And that happened several times in prayer that we started praying for things that we didn't even know that other people were concerned about. What would happen if we as a church became more, more more, more about the full gospel, 
locally, regionally, and globally than just about ourselves. Last Sunday was my anniversary. 18 years. Right, honey bun? Come on, give me some love. So here's the problem. There was one problem. I was in California. I was dead. All week, man, I got it on the phone. Didn't I, Mama? I got on the phone. I had to be there. I didn't have an option. It's part of my job. 18 amazing years. We had an amazing week together. God was awesome this past week. Um, but we had a parade. I had to stay for the parade. I didn't have to dress up in a costume, thank God. I actually, my, my, my regional boss said, hey, we don't have to march in it. And I told him, I said, if you don't march in this parade, I quit on the spot because I should be home with my wife right now. And if she finds out I didn't march, I'm dead. And we were in this parade, it was for missions. It was for church planters and global missions. And we walked in and they cheered us on like we were walking into Yankee Stadium. We were saying, you know, this is amazing grace. Everyone's like, boom, boom. This is amazing love. The whole place is cheering. And we walk in with all these missionaries. It was amazing. Just gives me chills thinking about it. And there were two things that happened was realizing how we are on mission. Not Rob. We are. And you get to choose to be on mission or not. You are, you are accountable to the people next to you, yes. But you are, you are accountable to the living God, whether you will be on mission right in your local context or not. You will stand. Let me get a little bit of, let me get a little bit of hardcore right now. Just like I will stand before my Lord, I will be accountable for the mission that I was called to. And you will be accountable for the mission that you are called to. Well, I was just kind of like an MC leader. Well, how did you lead your MC? Well, I know that you put that nudge in me to go to my neighbor's house. Did you respond to the nudge? Well, I know at work that I can get really, really busy and bogged down. But what did you do for the gospel at your place of work? And Jesus will say, He will say to those, and He will separate those on His left. They'll say, but Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in Your name? Then I'll have a group of people that, that went to the prisons and loved their neighbors and and we're doing the work of the gospel. And he's going to say, those on my right, come in. And those on the left, I, I don't know you. It wasn't about you. It was about being on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know the most important vehicle in the eyes of God is, outside your soul, is the church is the church. And I don't mean the plant, I mean the church universal. Because we are the family of God that are supposed to represent heaven to the world around us. We are to be the family of God that represents heaven to the world around us. And I honestly believe that we get glimpses of heaven. I think in the, at the plant, we've seen glimpses of heaven. I don't think we've seen the fullness of heaven. I actually wrote something on the plane that I'll read to us at one point, but I'm not ready to read it yet because I need to chew it through. I really feel like we as a church, otherwise I wouldn't be here. I'm going to tell you right now. 
if I didn't think that we could be the presence of Jesus Christ in our local context, I wouldn't be here. That's not how I'm wired. I'm not wired for job security. I'm not wired because I have to do things. I'm wired by calling. To the point that for the first five years of my marriage, it drove my wife crazy. But I really believe that all these little drips and glimpses that we have, that we have an opportunity to locally and regionally be the presence of heaven for others. But here's what was so neat. At the end of the service, they had over 40 missionaries stand up and line up. They were going to be commissioned, just like a graduation. And the president, who was the first guy that spoke, that had that raspy voice. Matter of fact, he had a healing several years ago. He almost died, and God healed him. He almost physically died. He was on his deathbed, and God healed him. Um, And he came up and he gave the Bible to every person that was going to a foreign land in their tongue, in their language. And he said, so-and-so and so-and-so, I commission you to go to such and such world and here's a Bible in that native tongue. We pray as you learn the language. And it was so neat because on the video, you couldn't see their faces because they weren't allowed to be known. Because if some of those countries found out, do you know what would happen to some of those people? They would be murdered. There are people being murdered all over the world and I was sitting there humbled and I'm like, I'm a crier, we all know that. But there's times when we weep that we have a belly cry. You ever have a belly cry? It's not a bad cry. It's not a good cry. It's a calling cry. And I remember getting on my hands and knees and I just put my hands on the ground and I had this belly cry like I was convulsing. I said, Jesus, you've renewed my calling. And I just prayed that God had implanted my my palms into that ground as a reminder in California that what he started 20 years ago will continue with with a larger and louder fire. There's three things that I want us to take away from this morning. First, And we've done a really good job of it. We've done an awesome job. I'm so proud of you guys. I love you all. I truly love you all. I love you. I I can honestly say that I would lay my life down. And I hope you would do the same for me. Some of you, maybe not. But we need to be a praying church. We need to learn to pray. Not just for ourselves because we do an amazing job. Let's learn to pray for the world. Let's learn to really pray. Let's learn to be a people that make prayer priority one. That's what Jesus did most. He spoke to the Father. Let's learn to pray. Let's learn to pray in ways that we never even knew. Next, let's be a giving church. Do you know this is the first time in our church's history that we've ever been in the black financially? We're learning to give. We got a long ways to go. It doesn't mean that we're we're, we're over abundance in money because we're not. We're not. Trust me. 
But this is the first time that we're not in the negative. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. That's huge. But let's learn to do this. Let's learn to be more generous. Let's learn to give beyond ourselves, knowing that there's a greater mission out there. Knowing that it's not about us. Knowing that it's about the gospel going forward. Then let's be a learning church. Let's learn. Let's learn where we made mistakes. We actually sat down with Jesse after we did the whole missions thing with him and we said, let's teach us. What did we do bad? What did we do good? And what do we need to do better? We actually sat down and we we talked about six things that we need to learn how to do as a church. Your leadership is a group of very humble people. You're fortunate. It's not the good old boys club. Let's learn how to do mission well. Locally. Regionally. And globally. We're going to go into a time of communion. And let's, let's have one of these moments. Like, I don't need to fire you up. I don't need to get you all jacked up on Jesus. The Holy Spirit needs to get jacked up on Himself. Some of you need a new calling. Some of you need to pull a Rob Parker and get on your face and leave an imprint in your, in your community. Some of you need to really rethink that, like, why am I becoming mundane in my faith? Why, why am I so tired at church? Why have I given up on certain things? Jesus is not giving up. He's not calling you somewhere else. He's not calling me somewhere else. He's calling us together to be able to constantly be learners, to be empowered, to move forward for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So churches can be planted in our local area, in our regional area, and across the world. Amen? This is what we're going to do. We're going to go to communion. Before you go to communion, I want you to just turn to one person. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And say, let's pray for the world. And just say, Jesus, would you make your gospel tangible to these less than 1% areas? And then come take communion. And then you say, Jesus, teach me to be selfless and to be a learner. And use this as an opportunity for God to renew your calling. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, all of your other stuff fades away. Stop worrying about your marriage. Stop worrying about your finances. Stop worrying about your work. Stop worrying about your bank account. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of all that is good, holy, I say now, not that my God owns a cattle on a thousand hill. I say I own a cattle on a thousand hill. Because if I'm his child, they are mine. I have the Spirit of God. Why? Because if I am his, he is mine. If he called the disciples to do amazing things, he's called me to do amazing things. We are just wrapping up stage one of the plant. Seven years later, thank you for being patient. Thank you 
for seeing something bigger than yourself. Now in the words of the great philosopher Scott Hosier, it's time to put your big boy and big girl pants on and let's run after Jesus like never before. Maybe you need to come up here and get your face right with Jesus. Maybe you need to sit down and pray. This morning is a morning of calling. I'm running. If you don't want to run, you need a new pastor. Because if you walk, Sue and I have already talked. What are we doing? We're bouncing. We're running. We're inviting you to run with us. Amen? Amen.